but I think I had worked, I usually work on the message for about a week, you know, just thoughts here and there and put it in. And then on Friday, I dedicate my Friday to then putting it together so that Saturday I could, uh, I always try to keep just for family time. Um, but Saturday, my devotions, I picked up my iPad and thought I've got it. God's given me a couple more thoughts. So I opened up Evernote and my iPad and started plugging in a couple extra thoughts. My iPad shut down, and I thought, huh, oh, well. Well, while, while I was editing the message, I removed the scripture in Haggai because I thought, oh, Lord, it's just no. It's, you know, it's no. So it must have been me, so I started working on it. And then tried to open it back up again, and it was all gone. So the message is going to be real short today. <laughs> I sat down again, but um, put it together again Saturday afternoon. And then as soon as I woke up again this morning, God shared with me, hey, guy, again. And that's all I kept hearing, hey, guy, hey, guy. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I think you want me to share that. So he must have got mad when I removed it from my notes. And he's like, fine, I'll remove all your notes. You remove my notes, I'll remove your notes. But, <laughs> but today I want to talk to you briefly on this question. Are you a selfish Christian? Remember, the message is first preached in here before it ever comes out here. Okay, so... You know, don't ever feel like, was she judging me? No, you know, hello, goes here first. So when I started thinking about this question, a whole bunch of other questions. Well, I don't know. Am I a selfish, selfish Christian? So I actually put together these questions that God was putting inside me that I would just like to throw out to you now so that you can, I don't want you to raise your hand, just Inside, reflect. Um, just a few general questions first, okay? Let's start with that. And I'm going to say I because they started with me. Do I get irritated when there's changes made? Is my comfort my main priority? Or is others' comfort my main priority? Do I get agitated when someone asks me to give more money, more time? Continue on with a, a few more spiritual questions on the same vein. Is it a priority for me to help someone in need? Or is my schedule more important? My lack of time. I'm too busy. Do I find it easier to point out what's wrong in the church than to get involved and help fix what's wrong? Am I more concerned about making it to heaven or taking someone with me to heaven? These are questions God put in my heart when 
he first started birthing this message in me. So I'm throwing them back out there to you. Are you a selfish Christian? Every human being is born with an internal drive to survive. It's in us. Even the animals around us. So it's not just human beings. It's every being is created with that. I need to survive. Internal drive. There's nothing wrong with that. We grab what we can and hold on to it, right? Hoard it if necessary. We're going to need this. We immediately start crying, me, 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 mine, 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 me, 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 me. Then when we get married and have kids, well, then it's we, 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 no, family, we. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with surviving. There's nothing wrong with family. Where it becomes wrong is when it's our priority. Our priority alignment. Our culture teaches us it is all about you. What do you want? What do you need? What do you desire? What makes you happy? That's all that matters. But God demonstrated from creation through salvation right up into eternity that there's a better way. It's his way. And it's a sacrificial lifestyle, not a selfish lifestyle. Too many complain that they can't give of their resources. And when I mention resources, I'm not just talking money. Resources are time, talent, and your treasure. Your time, your talent, and your treasure, okay? Not just your money. But, I mean, I could preach a whole message on why God always has to talk about money. Because he can't get your heart until he gets to your pocketbook. He has to get to your heart through your pocketbook. So he says, you know what? If you can trust me with your money, you can trust me with anything. And as a matter of fact, as an illustration, since my dad brought it up, if you have a paper money, anyone, I don't care which one you want to pull out. I want you to pull it out right now. Whatever, $1, $100, a million dollar bill. I don't care. Pull it out. You've got your Bible in front of you, I'm sure, or your phone or your iPad with ready to dig into the scripture with me anyway. So I want you to locate now. You all have something? Wave it at me. Ushers, are you ready to take up the offering again? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But if you feel a need, no. Locate on that bill. Does it still say, in God we trust? Do you see it on there? Do you believe it? Mm. Yeah, remember, I've been teaching you over the last weeks, the original definition of the word belief is synonymous with your action. They were never supposed to be separated. If you say you believe something, then your actions prove it. They're synonymous so you can't say, I trust God, yet withhold your resources, whether it be time, talent, or treasure. 
You can't say you trust God. And very simply, again, he has to talk about money because he says, I want your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Not where your heart is, your treasure will follow, which is the way it's supposed to be. He says, I'll tell you where your heart is. Where does your money go? That's where your heart is. So he's got he's to keep talking money. So, but when I'm talking about being selfish, when I'm talking about resources, I'm talking about more than just your money. But I'll tell you, if you get these priorities right and you start believing and trusting God, like your, that paper money says right in your hand right now, I trust you, God, and you start giving those first fruits, everything else lines up behind that. And that was just a freebie. It had nothing to do with my message. Anyway, oh, too many people, too many people complain that they can't give of their resources because they don't have enough. The fact is you don't have enough because you're not giving. And that's the scripture in Haggai that I want to read to you. But again, I mean, I... I tried to leave it out because I thought, Lord, it just sounds too hokey with our building project going up and we're pushing. We want to start building, start building. And it just happens to be September 11th, which this talks about on the 24th day of the ninth month. So it's like, you know, come on, I'm not trying to be hokey here. But God really wanted this scripture read. So let's just get into it. So turn with me over to Haggai, Haggai, Haggy, Hag, whatever, the H guy. Haggai, and if you don't know where that is, go to Matthew and go back a few pages. It's a real small book. If you got a real good paper Bible, it's page 798. Otherwise, that's when you really like you version. When you can just click to that. Oh, there it is, right there. Hey, pop, it's up. Okay, I want to start at verse 2. Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 2, says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, said, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. And look down in chapter 2, starting at verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of this other guy, the high priest. Be strong. Don't look at me. You know I can't. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted did, 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 with you. When you came out of Egypt, 
and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Look down in verse 15. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. But from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Get up and go to work. Start trusting him with what you have or he will blow what you try to hold on to right away. You wonder why you don't have enough? Where's your trust? God said, if you trust me with the first, I'll bless it and I'll multiply the rest. But if you try to hold on to what already belongs to me, God says, I'll blow the rest away. Right? Think about it as a mother or a father with your own children. Again, I do this all the time. It helps me to understand a father's heart. The mother nature even in God. That if you were to give lunches to one of your children and say, now go take this to all your brothers and sisters. Here's their lunch for the day. And you left. You trusted him to go take the rest of the food to the brothers and sisters. You came home late that evening and the kids are clawing at the walls. I'm starving. I'm starving. I'm starving. You're like, well. Didn't you eat your lunch? Well, what lunch? And you look at the one. What did you do with what I gave you? Well, mom, I was so hungry. I had to eat it. That one sandwich wasn't enough. So I got into the next one, and they had kingdoms in there and Twinkies in the next one. And you know I love Twinkies. And I ate them. But your other bro your brothers and sisters are starving. Well, I do have some more I hid in my closet. Because I knew I would be later, but I already ate it. Because I got hungry later. Would you so well done, good and faithful son? No. Only would you take away his dinner, probably, his dessert for the next few weeks, and you'll be like, stand in the corner. Or give me your toothbrush. There's bathrooms to be cleaned. No, I, no, quit that. Wouldn't think that, would you, Jacob? No. But would you bless that child? No. Hello? 
It's not, you had a job to do. I gave you a resource that you were supposed to share. But you were selfish and held on to it and consumed it yourself. There's no blessing waiting for you with that. But so many Christians cry out, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. Well, what did you do with what you were given? never intended his children to be in survival mode to hoard and hide never as a matter of fact when we first started fostering way back when in the days we had to go through foster training and in foster training we learned that any child that undergoes a tragedy in their life within an early age and they they estimated from about 18 months through, they, they, you couldn't, can't put any end to it, that they will, if they experience a tragedy in their life, that they immediately, their brain switches to survival mode. And they, they gave us things that will happen, they, you know, to watch for. Um, they'll start stealing food. They'll hide it. They'll start stealing trash and hide it. They'll eat like you've never seen anybody eat before. They said when you think that they should be full, they'll come back for more. So you'll have to limit their intake. You can't let them consume everything because they're in survival mode. And you'll have to train them. Don't get upset with them at first, but you'll have to train them and correct them, they said. when they And boy, did we see it all. I mean, there will be trash on the, you walk, you know, most of the time, let's just be honest, we walk right by trash, don't we, when we're out in public. I had one boy that filled his pockets, his socks, his shoes, and any place else he could think of it with trash. He would pick up, and then we'd find it everywhere in the house, hidden. And it's like, how do you, what, this, this is trash. But survival mode, they cannot comprehend the difference between what is life-giving, what will bring them real life, real growth, and sustain them from trash. And when we switch on and go into survival mode, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, we start hanging on to even trash. God's like, look at what you have in your hand. What is it? Can it really do anything for you? Remember he started pointing out to those that were making their own gods, their own little images, wood and metal, and he says, look at them. What can they do? Can they do anything for you? But see, once we're switched into that survival mode, we just can't comprehend anymore. What will be, How can common sense says if I give more, I will not have more, right? Hello? God's principle is that you give him first. He'll bless and multiply the rest. And we can't understand that. That's why he says, test me in this. I will, I will, he says, prove this to you if you'll test me in this. Oswald Chambers, and I like the words that were given this morning. They spoke, some of them spoke of the rivers of living water. 
which I knew was in the message, Oswald Chambers says, we are to be fountains through which Jesus can flow as rivers of living water to bless others. Yet some of us are like the Dead Sea, always receiving and never giving out because our relationship is not right with Jesus. As surely as we receive blessings from him, he will pour out blessings through us. But whenever the blessings are not being poured out in the same measure we are receiving them, there is a defect in our relationship with him. What's that defect? What's on your paper money? It's our trust. The defect is you don't trust him. That's the defect. When there's a lack, when God starts pouring blessings through you, if you stop them up and hold on to them, whoa, what you're saying is I don't trust that you're going to continue to pour those through me. I need to hold on to this. I'm going to hoard it. I see that sack lunch. I'm sticking it in the closet so I can have a Twinkie later. I don't. I, it can't share that. I might need that. I might need that. There's a defect in our relationship. You don't trust that God will do what he says he will do. So real quickly, again, I'm serious. I'm really going to try to make a brief message because, again, at every Sunday we want to make sure we take plenty of time after the message for ministry time. I don't want short messages or simple messages so that you can go and beat the Baptist to the cracker barrel. But so that you have time to come up, soak in prayer, get prayer, worship, okay? Um, but turn with me over in your Bible to James chapter 3. I want to give you some simple guidelines to keep you from being a selfish Christian. And I've shared these scriptures before, but I mean, God's word, I think we try to complicate what God tries to make so simple. And that if we would just take it like the Bereans did, I think we were praying about that this morning in our class, which if you didn't know, MDC classes, ministry development classes started this morning at 9 a.m., in the fall and in the spring, we offer four classes for discipleship. And we encourage, exhort, urge everyone to go through these classes. 101 being new believers class, which you don't have to be a new believer to go through that class. Refreshers are good, but we also want you to grab somebody and bring them with you. So you can ask your neighbor, hey, my church just started a new believers class. I'll go with you if you go, okay, or somebody in the church. 201 be a membership. You don't have to go through membership class and become a member, but you want to know what is the church all about? What is membership being part of a body? What does all that mean? Membership is for you. Membership is for everyone. Anyway, 301 is connecting in ministry, and 401 is connecting as leaders. And again, we're all called to be a part of the body, to connect in a ministry, and to be a leader, right? Not as, you might not be called to stand up here and preach, but everyone 
who's a follower of Christ should be leading somebody else. Follow me, Paul says, as I follow Christ. So that's you. So if you missed this this morning, it's not too late. Show up 9 o'clock next Sunday. It's a five-week class. We'll do 101, 201 at the same time. We'll take a three-week break, which, by the way, Denny, uh, the youth ministry is going to be using those three weeks break for specified training for their youth leaders and for their student leaders. So um, make sure you get plugged in if you're in his ministry. And then we start up again after three weeks with 301 and 401. And then we do them again in the spring. So we have spring classes and fall classes. Now back to our regularly scheduled program here. Um, that was just a brief announcement. In James chapter 3, simple guidelines. Let's read it first and then we'll break it apart. Starting at verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Why? Survival mode has been switched on. And I, me, 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 my, my, my. You, me, me, Come on, you've all been long enough in any, whether it's a family unit or a church unit, where you've heard these, and that's what happens. Envy and selfish ambition turns into that survival mode, and now you got bite, 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 pick, 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 point, 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 mine, mine, mine. Me, me, me. Find disorder in every evil practice. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now look down at chapter 4. Keep reading. Remember, we don't stop at chapters. We keep reading through. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Oh, get it. Mine. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Mine, 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 me, me, me. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And listen to this. What does he call you? You adulterous people. Adulterous people. Uh, let me think about that. Adultery means I'm in a marriage union with one and I turn and commit to another. So if he's talking right now, he's talking about quarreling, selfish ambition. We're supposed to be married to Christ, right? We're the bride of Christ. He called us, you adulterous people. 
He said, you've let go of your union with me and you've clung on to another. What? Ourselves. Our wants, our needs. Me, 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 my, my, my. He said, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? He jealously longs for that. But he gives more grace. He gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud. But he shows favor to the humble. And now here it goes through step by step. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Continue. Come on. Continue to read. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you're sitting upon you're sitting in judgment upon it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow we will go do this or that or go to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Pastor Neil, would you turn these fans on? I don't know about you. It's getting a little warm up here. <sighs> Maybe because I'm sitting in a hot seat right now. Are you a selfish Christian is the title, again, of this message. And these are laid out what we just read, simple guidelines that will help keep us from being self-centered, adulterous people. He first said, submit to God. Submit to God. Well, you're like, I have. Let me ask you. Have you submitted every area of your life to God? Is he the Lord of every area of your life? Because either he is Lord of your life or he's not. You can't just say, well, on Sunday, God, you're the Lord of my life. 
Could you imagine if we lived in a hierarchical, you know, environment right now where there was one king or one queen and you come in and I want to abide in your kingdom, king or queen, and I want all your blessings, but I will only submit to you one day a week. As a matter of fact, during 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock. But I want to receive all the blessings of your kingdom throughout the rest of the week. I don't know about you. I keep hearing this off with your head. Yeah. Anyway, wasn't that the queen of, from the Alice in Wonderland? Off with your head. Anyway, um, either Jesus is the Lord of all your life or he's not the Lord of your life at all. I had a dream a couple weeks ago. I had a dream like Martin Luther. No. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that this is the time God wants me to share it. I don't know. Because I promised you it was going to be a short message, but I shouldn't do that. really shouldn't do that. Um The interpretation came a few days later, and it came in the form of word pictures. Um, where sometimes, you know, God gives you a dream, and the interpretation, the meaning is just flowing and long. Instead, the interpretation came in just one word pictures, basically. Um, the dream was that um, I was sitting in, Brian and I was sitting in a huge ballpark, baseball park. I mean, we were, you know, had the best seats it seemed like you know halfway up right there we saw the field beautifully manicured everything and the stadiums were it was full packed and it was in the seventh inning stretch if you ever been to a baseball game or, or no baseball game seventh inning stretch means they do some type of entertainment right there kind of like rally the troops you know flip your head inside out flip it over if you need to if your team's down anyway whatever seventh inning stretch and in my dream, we were in, sitting in our, I mean, wonderful seats. We were enjoying. I remember I had a big smile on my face. Brian actually had one on his face, which we don't see often. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding, honey. Anyway, we were enjoying ourselves. Seventh inning stretch, and you hear the announcer come over the loudspeaker, and he's like, yeah, we're getting ready to play this game, and we'll pick somebody randomly from the crowd. Brenda Moore, and we're like, you know, and we're like, oh, so we're getting all excited. And they're like, okay, and let's bring over the fishing pole. And so all these people brought over this huge, like, I don't know, 50-foot-long fishing pole. The reel on it itself was 12, 14 inches, you know, span, you know, huge fishing pole. And I'm like, yeah, you know, holding on to this huge thing. And they're like, now cast it into the middle of the field and see how far you can get. And so I pulled it back and I cast this fishing reel, went down, and all of a sudden I heard my hooks, you know, it, whatever it's called. Fish on, basically. Fish on! It snapped back and I went, oh! and so I started reeling, I'm like reeling it in, and all of a sudden this huge fish appeared up over the wall, you know, 
right on this, I mean, like, like as big as a sanctuary type fish, huge fish. And everybody just erupts, yay, she won, I won, yay, I won. And then all of a sudden, these guys in these suits, I'm thinking security, whatever, came in, went after the fish, and started on hooking the fish. And I remember thinking, you know, they kept going on. The announcer went on to something else, and I looked down, and I said, wait, wait, wait. What are you doing with the fish? And the guys in the suit looked up at me, perplexed, look on their face. Well, we're going to throw it away. The game's over. I said, that fish could feed thousands and thousands of people. Why would you throw it away? And they're like, well, we never thought of that before. We wouldn't know how to do that. So I looked at Brian. He says, come on. And we said, we'll do it. And we got up out of our seats and went down there. And me and Brian picked up this fish and started leaving the stadium. And I remember it was, was it that night, that next day I had staff meeting and I was still, I mean, like I could, I can still smell what I was smelling in that stadium in my dream. I could paint you a picture. That's how clear this vision was. This dream was to me. And yes, the Bible says the old men will dream dreams. <laughs> anyway, I think it was more of a vision in the night, vision in the night. Anyway, and I remember sharing at the staff meeting because I couldn't get, I couldn't shake it out of my mind because it was just so clear. And so I just started praying, God, you know, obviously when God lays a dream on your heart, um, you can't shake it. And so I started praying, God, if you want to, want to, you know, speak, are you trying to speak something to me? Please share it, you know, and. Again, the interpretation came in form of these one-word um, pictures. And the, I wrote them down in my journal. Um, entertainment. Game. Seventh inning stretch. Fishing. Catching. Applauds. Feeding. It's always been done this way. Selfishly thrown away, and it's time to go and feed the multitudes. I said, God, what are you trying to? When he, when I felt like he wanted me to share that this morning, I'm like, how does that line up with the, with the word that you're trying to say? And again, when I say church, you're right here. You're you're my church. You're church, but I'm talking. When God talks about his church, it's more than a denomination or a fellowship or a cooperative fellowship, we're called. Anyway, it's more than us. It's the body. It's his church. He says, too long, my church is enjoying their mission like an entertainment. They consider it a game that they can just attend once a week. Oh, they'll applaud. Woohoo! when somebody does catch something but will they stand up and take the fish and go feed them we're selfishly just doing things the way we've always been doing them well because that's just the way we've always done it and he says now's the time get out of your seats stop with the entertainment that you consider your church 
the game that you just have been playing and get involved and take up the fish and go feed the multitude. Stop doing church. It's time to submit your life. Submit. Have you, number one, submitted your whole life to God? I'm going to go through the next few really quick here. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. The Bible says in James 1, 14 through 15 that you're drug away not by something you have no control over. <laughs> it's by your own evil desires within you that you're drug away. I mean, let me tell you something. I could be drug away by a pack of Keebler cookies. I love them. Double stuffed is not enough. You got to rip that little elf guy right off that top and the other top of two and put two together. Now quadruple stuffed. Keebler cook. My stomach just growled. I hope you didn't get that. On. How can the dust dance like a monster? Shut up. Quit. I'll stop feeding you. Anyway, it's, I could be drug. It's my. Now, if you don't like Keebler cookies, you know, I'll pray for you at the altar time. But if that's not your desire, you know, like Brian loves those. What are those little Debbie white zebra things, hostess things? Anyway, I don't know. I, little Debbie, I guess, is not hostess. But anyway, they don't appeal to me at all. I'm like, you can stuff all the cupboards full of them. And I would still say there's nothing to eat because they don't appeal to me. We're drug away by our own evil desires within us so you're not an unwilling participant in your sin when you're drug away by your desires and you sin it's not I couldn't help it yes you can it's your own evil desire and if you need to resist the devil I told you I'd go through them fast I lied we'll pray about that later too if you continue to live the selfish life you did before submitting your life to God, what did Jesus die for? You need to resist. Let me tell you something. When I gave, when I came to the Lord back, you know, at whatever year, I think I was 19, when I gave my heart back to the Lord, I liked doing drugs. I liked drinking. I liked smoking. I liked smoking. So it wasn't things, when I resisted, I had to resist, there had to be, I mean, and I remember I used to get in arguments with God because he immediately took the desire away for drugs and for alcohol, but not for smoking. So God, when, when God started putting his finger on my heart saying, it's time to give this up, and it wasn't right away, I'm like, uh-uh, or else you would have taken the desire away. He goes, mm. at some point in your child, you, when you're raising them, you have to tap their little hands and say no, right? No, no, no. Some things, and I don't agree to, some things you even have to get out of their way because that's going to become too much of a temptation. I mean, we just had our one grandson over who's now starting to stand up at the end tables and cook. Of course, what did my daughter-in-law want to do? Just remove everything out of his way. And I put it all back. And I sat right down with Owen. And he'd start to reach. And I'd, 
yeah, you can touch it. He'd start to pull it, and I'd go, no. He'd push it back. He'd start to grab for something. I'm like, yeah, see, you can touch it. He'd start to pull it, and I'd go, no. But some things that are glass and fragile, I just, I picked up and moved. I mean, we're not even going to play around with that one. Or he had a rock. One of the kids brought a rock in the house. And there's a glass end table downstairs. Now, am I going to let him have that rock with the glass end table? No. So some things God will just remove from you in his sovereignty and his grace and his mercy. And some things he says, you're going to need to resist this on your own. And that will help build that strength and that character within you. So when he comes and starts pointing something out on you, for one thing, don't compare yourself with other people. That's stupid. Sorry, that's not a good word. That's unwise, the Bible calls it. I think my translation says stupid. Anyway, don't. Because one person can sit there with the rock at the glass end table and not bust it, right? But the child who sees the rock by the glass end table is going to smash it. So don't compare yourselves with each other. How foolish would that be if I compared myself with Owen and said, well, he gets to play with the rock at the glass end table. Why can't I? You know, don't compare yourself with each other. God's putting his finger on you to give up or to grow up or to go up. It's between you and God. Just do it. Resist the devil. Number three, draw near to God. We must come daily. Jesus taught us how to pray for our daily bread. Daily, we need to come to God, draw near to God for wisdom and strength. For he said, wash your hands, you sinners. Listen to this. Stop justifying defending your failures. If you have to justify it or defend it, there's something wrong. If God puts his finger on something and you immediately get defensive over, there's something wrong. When he says, wash your hands, you sinner, stop justifying, defending your failures. Admit it. Repent. Turn from them. Learn from them. And resolve with God's strength to never do them again. Now, if you try to do this on your own, you will fail. You will. God wants to be wanted. God needs to be needed. Not that he's a needy God, but that's how he created us. He don't want you to do something in your own strength. He said, I've got all the strength, but you need to come to me. He said, wash your hands, you sinners. Just admit it, man. When you mess up, admit it, fix it. Ask God to give you strength to not do it again. Uh, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts. Double-minded. Double-minded people are the Christians who believe they can receive all God's blessings without living out his commands. I don't have to do what you say. I just want to have all you have. Double-minded is also referred to the one that says he believes God, says he believes God, but doesn't believe God. So they're like a wave of the ocean tossed back and forth double-minded they'll never be stable in anything they do because they've separated what they believe from what they do they say i trust god but they don't trust god with their resources double-minded 
6. Humble yourself before the Lord. This is really a short message. I can see that now. Robert McChinney, I say that name wrong every time. He's the one that is the most popular um, daily Bible read, reading plan for the year. Um, he said, a man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself before God. Number seven, don't slander one another. And I got this picture. Uh, it's called the crab mentality where that's what we end up looking like is a bunch of crabs in a bucket clawing our way out. You, do you know, before you read that, look at me. Look at me, Linda. Linda, look at me. Look at me, Linda. Did you know that if you're fishing for crabs, which do you call it fishing for crabs? If they're not fish, they're crab. And if you're crabbing for crabs, I don't know. Maybe it is called crabbing. Anyway, you catch one, put it in a bucket, you have to put a lid on it. Because he will crawl out. But if you've put two or more crabs in the same bucket, you don't have to have a lid on it. Because as soon as one tries to crawl out, the other ones will grab a hold of him and pull him back down again. Too many Christians act like crabs, tearing at each other and pulling them down. Oh, you think you're going to get out of this hole? Forget it. I know what kind of person you are. It says, if, you, if I can't have it, neither can you. If I can't do it, neither can you. If I can't see the bigger picture, neither can you. If I can't be successful, neither can you. If I can't achieve more, neither can you. Can you? Slandering one another means I just want to make sure that I hurt their reputation to make mine look better. Because you don't want to fix yours is a real issue, right? If you just work on yourself as far as, God, here I am. I submit to you. I surrender to you. I humble myself before you. Put your finger on me. I want to grow up. I want to go up. I want to be better. Whatever, Lord, between you and God, you won't have time to slander other people or crawl around and pull them down. He says, don't slander one another. And I don't know why people think that makes them look better. Have you ever stood around somebody who's slandering somebody else and walk away and know without a shadow of a doubt they're going to say something about you? Mmm. You know, they talk about so-and-so like that. They're going to talk about me, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So stop them. Stop them. Don't slander one another. Mm, I'm going to... 1 Corinthians 10, 23-24, Paul says, I have the right to do anything I want to do. Now, here it is. Most people slander other people because, again... We're all at different levels with the Lord, okay? When somebody, when God puts his finger on somebody and says, Aaron, I don't want you watching um, R-rated movies anymore. And I don't know if you do, and I don't know if Aaron does. This is just a hypothetical, okay? Points his finger at you. It would be wrong of Aaron to run around and tell everybody, God wanted me to tell everybody stop watching, even though, okay, maybe he is. Anyway, but anyway. Again, this is just an illustration. God put his finger on Aaron. Aaron's job isn't to point around and then start judging other people who haven't had that finger 
of God put on them yet. Um, like for me, God put a hard finger on me to not let anything. Um, it can be a PG-13 movie that has supernatural type, you know, doors opening, Ouija board, whatever. I just hard cut, boom. I stay right away from all that. But now if I was to walk around and start pointing my finger at other people who don't feel that compulsion yet, that would be wrong of me. Now I'm going around judging. I'm standing as a lawgiver, as a judge on God's word. Don't slander each other also means don't point your finger and start judging other people. For me, I've said this over and over again, I have a hard finger God put on my life to not even be a sipper. I don't sip any drinks. I used to be an alcoholic. When God saved me and took that desire away from me, I went to the extreme opposite. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be near it. It would be wrong of me to go around then and start pointing my finger as if I'm God on other people. Now, is it wrong to drink as a Christian? That's between you and God. For me, I would say yes. You want to know my honest opinion? Is it wrong for us to cuss and swear? Yes. You know, is it wrong to have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you get married? Yes. You know, there are some simple black and whites in the Bible, but there's also some gray that God says, you're going to, I'm going to work with you and we're going to walk this out together. Okay. I'll tell you, this is the one point of my life that I agonize over the most is being called a pastor and having to try to pastor you up the next rung of your ladder without condemning those who aren't up as high as you, but also giving enough encouragement to help you go up further. You understand that if you look around in this room, there are some people that are still sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend and feel nothing wrong with that right now. There's some people in here that haven't sipped, smelled, smoked, breathed, you know, or spoken anything negative in years. They haven't even had a negative thought. So on the ladder, if you want to put them on there, we've got some that haven't even put their first foot on the ladder. There's some that are clear up here on the ladder. Well, not because of their age and they're almost ready to go home. But there's so many people at so many different levels in their Christian walk that if I were to squish everybody together and say, this is what everybody should do, that's wrong of me. My heart, though, wants to say, I can tell you what you need to do. You, what, you, you know, if we just all just do this, this way. But I can't. And that's where the huge turmoil in a pastor's heart is, is that, I have to be so careful that I don't say something that will cause somebody else to say, well, hey, pastor said we can sip. Pastor said smoking wasn't a sin. Pastor said sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend's okay as long as you ask for forgiveness afterward. I really could say all that stuff. You see where the dilemma is? The selfish Christian says, I'll take just what you say, pick here and there so that I can benefit, I can step back, and I can do what I want to do and still feel justified. 
I'm asking you to look at your life as the sacrificial life. That Paul says, I have the freedom to do whatever I want to do, but I choose not to do some things. Why? Not for my benefit, but for your benefit. I used to drink these virgin drinks because I loved the, you know, fruit blended drinks and the fancy umbrellas and everything until somebody came over to me and asked me why I thought it was okay to drink if I was supposed to be a Christian. I said, I'm not drinking. It's non-alcoholic. He said, well, look around in the restaurant. Who here in this restaurant knows that's non-alcoholic? I said, oh. Was I doing something wrong? Was drinking that non-alcoholic drink wrong? No. It was a fruit smoothie. But from that day on, I decided I'm not even going to order them for other people's benefit. Not because I wouldn't enjoy it. Not because I, I thought something was wrong with it. It's for other people's benefit. You see, I had to set a youth leader down in my office because I had youth coming to me asking me why one of my youth leaders were drinking. And how could that be okay if they're supposed to be a leader? And, I mean, again, my leaders know I take a hard stand against leaders and drinking. I do. And some other issues as well, like sleeping with me. Anyway, there are some top no-nos in, in leadership I do have. So I brought that leader, and I'm like, what are you doing, man? What are you drink? You know I don't encourage drinking in my leaders. He goes, they're non-alcoholic beer. I said, okay, that aside, how many of those kids knew that that was a non-alcoholic beer? He goes, well, I didn't feel justified to tell any of them. Hmm. Where's the servant sacrificial heart in that? I gave up picking up bottles on the side of the road because when I turned in the empty beer bottles on the counter, I had a youth walk by and give me the look. And I looked on the counter and I'm like, crap. Probably think I drank all of it. I thought I was doing my, you know, worldly duty by just trying to clean up and getting some money from it. And I'm like, so I always, when I see bottles, I'm like, Lord bless whoever's going to take that back, you know. Double their 10 cents. I don't care. Was it wrong that I was doing that? No. Was I doing something wrong? No. This whole sacrificial, where we are on our rung, your mentality should be, is it beneficial to others? Not, is what I'm doing right or wrong? I can do it if I feel like there's nothing wrong with it. Is it beneficial to others? That's the sacrificial life that we're supposed to be called to, not the selfish life. Anyway, again, this is a short message. I'm going to shut this timer off. It's just glaring at me now. Wrapping it up with this, Amy, so you better come up front. Eight is follow God's will for your life, not your own. When he was talking about when you say you're going to go here or there, here or there, you're boasting, all boasting is evil. You need to follow God's will for your life, not your own will. When you're following your own will, that's selfish, right? Hello. Sacrificial means I'm following God's will for my life. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Is what you're doing wrong? No, probably not. Probably not at all. But if it's keeping you from God's will for your life, it is. It is. And then nine go 
and do good. This was all from the scripture we just read in James. Go and do good. Go and do good. Talked about being a peacemaker. Think on pure things. Be pure. Be peace-loving. Be considerate. Be submissive. Be full of mercy. Show good fruit. Be of good fruit, it says. Be impartial, sincere. Be a peacemaker. Go and do good. Corey Tenboom also said, The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. What in your life have you given? So then when your life is over and we're sitting here and we're having your memorial, what do you want your life to have served? Money? Job? Family? Is there any of those bad? No. But they should not be your main focus, your main priority. God's will for my life. God's will. Some people believe that the tears in heaven that are going to be shed, that Revelations talks about, um, and that God will wipe away the tear of every person's eye, is the, the anguish we'll feel from the people who don't make it into heaven. I believe that that's a portion of it. But I believe the biggest sorrow of our heart is going to happen when God opens up and shows us the original plan he had for our life. The miracles, the healings, the people that we were supposed to touch. And then the knowledge of knowing our selfish choices will cause us to fall on our knees crying we missed it. in our MDC class this morning connecting in the body that when one part of that body doesn't do what it's supposed to do the rest of the body has to suffer they suffer and they have to try to work overtime to try to get that but let me tell you you have people in your life that you're supposed to touch that we have no clue about oh the Holy Spirit does and in his mercy, he'll draw. But let me tell you, it's then, it, it's our will, right? It's our will. When God tells you you're in the grocery store, hey, tell that person that I love them. And you're like, oh, don't give that person, Lord. And we walk away. We missed it. God says, I, I want you to go over and lay hands on Hannah right now and pray for her. She's got a pain in her back. And if you just lay your hand on her, I will heal her. I don't have no power to heal. I didn't tell you you had power. I said I would heal. just go touch her. But we sat down. We missed it. There are going to be many tears shed in heaven over those missed moments. Because we've chose a selfish lifestyle. I'm trying to encourage you for a sacrificial lifestyle. It's not about your wants, your needs. It's God, 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 God. And trust Him. He will provide. He will bless. He'll give you the words. It's His power, not your power. Is there any 
anybody in here today that has that was in the prayer room last week or the week before that was healed on a Thursday night? Lori, stand up. On a Thursday night. Who else that we prayed for that was healed? Gary? We prayed for them. They were healed. I see you talking amongst yourself. Did we pray for a situation? Thank you. We prayed for a situation. The answer came. We prayed for vehicles. Vehicles were fixed. doesn't want you to go at it alone when you have a need when you have an issue when you have a situation when you ask for prayer I'm not believing that Pastor Neil or whoever's praying for me has the power to heal you understand we're just a vehicle we're just a vessel it's the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that flows through us he's got the power stay standing Jason you thought he was going to sit down. We learned last Thursday night that the testimony of people opens up access to that same miracle. Which means, do we believe God's an impartial God? What he did for one person, he'll do for the other. Do we believe that? So, what did he do for you, Lori? Healed her back. What did he do for you, Missy? Healed your knee. Jason, what did he do for you? Yeah, on Thursday night, started with Shannon. Shannon says, pray for me. We prayed for her. She says immediately she felt the healing. Two other people or three other people said, I've got that same pain in that same part of the shoulder. God opened up through that testimony access to that miracle. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it for you, he'll do it for you. Over and over again, I want people to share their testimony so that 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 is your claim. I can grab that right there. Jason got strengthened in his faith. God, I feel weak. I feel all alone. I feel like I can't accomplish anything. But you strengthen Jason's faith, God, so I know you can strengthen my faith. So when we do ministry time, when I ask these people to come up, the prayer team to come up, it's your time, access to that same miracle is available. Do you understand? And it doesn't mean, well, I didn't hear. I have this problem. I didn't hear that. Then you be the first miracle. You be the first miracle. God, I believe if you can do that for her, you can do that for her. You can do that for him. You can do this for me, God. Because God's the one with the power. Not these people standing up here. These people praying for you are not doing it by their own healing, by their own power. We are only the vehicle, the vessel. So... 
we're cry, trying to encourage people on Thursday night what same thing Jesus encouraged us with when he commanded us to go and make disciples he he said now as freely as you have received freely give so you people that were prayed for and you received healing and whatever a situation uh, altar team come on up here I want you to be praying with these people stand up everybody everywhere as the prayer team comes up I want to close today and open up the altars for miracles miracles God we trust you right now with everything everything every situation God if we've been living this selfish lifestyle and God right now you put your finger on an area in our heart in our life that maybe we need no not maybe we need to get right with you it could be as as elementary as coming to you and submitting to you for the first time God let today be that day Whatever your need is, or maybe, like I said, you need to make that commitment for the first time or recommit your life to God. God, I, I'm sorry I've been being entertained. I've just been playing a game, and I haven't really given you my whole life. Today, God, I give you my whole life. I take up, I take up my cross. I take up that fishing reel. I take up that fish, God. Use my whole life to feed others. Let your river of living water flow through me, God. Through me to bless others. God, right now, just come on up. If you need prayer, if you want to commit your life or recommit your life, we're here. We want to pray for you. We're going to have those other people praying with the prayer team. You latch on to that access. To that miracle is open now. The same thing he did for somebody else, he'll do for you. Come on, come on. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're moving right now. You're moving right now. Miracle, 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 miracle. For your glory, for your name's sake. Move, Holy Spirit, move through these, through these. God, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. What you said you'll do, you will do. I trust you. I believe you. Miracles. Miracles. Speak life. We speak chains broken right now. Strongholds broken in the name of Jesus. The song that Amy sung earlier, that the wind and the waves still know your name, God. All this earth, all this earth has to bow before you. All the demons in hell kneel at your name. Not our name, your name, Jesus. Jesus.